welcome to a Wednesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Repay. He's Chris Danziel. A little bit of irony, actually. It's kind of hilarious because I was complaining about the NCAA, quote-unquote, having technical difficulties, losing internet. End of the day, Friday, long day. Villanova went through Obviously, they had a very late tip. It got delayed from their 9.57 start. Didn't start until close to 10.30. By the time the post-game stuff was all over, it was almost 1 in the morning. They called technical difficulties. I was complaining on Twitter how they just should have just said they just want to go home, call it a day. And then, of course, a couple of days later, round two, Villanova's about to play North Texas, and my internet just completely obliterates itself, folds in half. I couldn't even watch the game for half of it. I'm freaking out to Chris. Is this a sign? Is this a bad omen? We couldn't get a pod going on Tuesday, which stressed me out a little bit because we got a schedule here. And, you know, we're all about routines, just like the Wildcats. And we like our Tuesday, Thursday setups. But here we are on a Wednesday. No more technical difficulties. Brand new router installed. Internet is back. The games are over. And what a weekend it was for Villanova and also just college basketball overall. Your router couldn't even handle the madness. That's how <laughs> madness. That's how much madness has occurred in the month of March right now. It was probably a, one of the best weekends in a while. And I don't know if it was just because you had all the upsets or because you had no tournament last year. But I think a, combina- a good combination of both really made for a fun weekend. And then also on top of that, yeah, Villanova won two games. That was probably the most important part, though, let's be honest. Back to the Sweet 16. Back to the Sweet 16. I guess that means we're going all the way. I guess that means we're going all the way because, what did we say last time, or at least since 2014, it's either they die in the second round or they (laughs) win the national title and cut down the nets. There's no in between. Yeah, the ultimate boomer bust since the formation of the new Big East. So it's hopefully it goes that way. But as we all know, Baylor, very tough opponent. But we'll we'll commiserate on the wonderful weekend that was, and we'll preview – Baylor, and we'll also preview Arkansas and Oral Roberts. Can you believe we're saying that? Oral freaking Roberts of all teams. I, I, I can't even believe we're doing a preview for them. And as Villanova's a five seed and was on the complete opposite side of the bracket. It's just been so amazing this year, this tournament. What a comeback. You didn't have it last year. 2019 feels like a distant memory. It was a painful one for Nova after losing to Purdue. But here we are two years later bunch of upsets nova's back in the sweet 16 they're moving on defying the haters defying the haters i said you could not trust a man who eats scrambled eggs and cream cheese on a bagel and here we are nova beat winthrop and then they followed up with a second round victory over north texas seth davis where you at i called him a jackass a week ago and he, he deserves to wear that title now i mean come on he called two games during the pregame show or doing during the reveal show. And he got both wrong. He was so intent on picking two 12 seeds and he got them both wrong. And he got them completely wrong. Georgetown got smacked and Winthrop was in it for a little bit. And then they faded. So I don't want to hear it anymore. He was so wrong. He shouldn't even be on the show. anymore. He should be removed hook, line and sinker. Get him off. Put more Charles Barkley on there. <laughs> I know yeah, it's just- two completely different crews, but still come on. Replace him with Samuel L. Jackson. Just get the whole squad in there. <laughs> Honestly, I would probably watch every single segment that those three do. Spike Lee, Samuel oh, yeah. L., and, and Charles Barkley. Great, 
great stuff. I forgot how great the commercials were. The Capital One commercials with those three, such a such a great group. They really are. That was probably one of the bigger things to miss from Formant last year. But speaking of commercials, I just have to vent about this for one quick second. I think I found the new worst commercial in the world. And it's the iPhone commercial where the lady's fumbling it and it has that awful song in the background. No. You know how to control your phone. You can hang on to it. You don't fumble it across the whole entire street. And why, oh, why, why, oh, why did you choose that song, Apple? Please, it is stuck in my head and it's awful. And I cringe every time I see the commercial. Okay, we, let's let's talk about happier things. Uh, Jeremiah Rhymes and Earl, good, good against Winthrop. <laughs> oh, <right>? yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. A big man, big boy game for the big man against Winthrop, which got to give it to the Eagles. They made it tight. It wasn't easy. They were who we thought they were. They came out. Villanova had a 10-point lead. The Eagles rumbling back in there, making it a one-point game at half. Villanova in the second half goes on a little bit of a run, pulls away, went through fighting to the end. However, Villanova held on for the 73-63 win. Jeremiah Robinson Earl, as you said, Chris, phenomenal. 22.11 rebound, double-double with six assists. Three blocks and a steal. Just a great all-around game for him. But then also, you look right down the line, the rest of the starting five was pretty good, too, from Justin Moore cashing in on 15 points. Jermaine Samuels adding 11.7 boards. Caleb Daniels with 10 points, three rebounds. And then on the Winthrop side, Chandler Vaudrin, they kept him in check. The big six foot seven point guard only had nine points. Two of 10 shooting. Wasn't all that efficient. He had a few post-ups. I give it to him. Very physical. He did have 11 rebounds, 7 assists, so very close to a triple-double there. However, outside of him, I thought DJ Burns was probably the bigger threat, but then he fouled out late in the game, which was was good for Nova. But he had 12 points to lead the Eagles. And then Adonis Arms, 10 points off the bench, solid adding from him. Chris, what did you take away from that game? We highlighted it during the preview last week, but Winthrop, when we mentioned that they rotate 11 guys, they they certainly do that. Uh, not that this is some groundbreaking revelation, but outside of Vaudrin and Burns, who are obviously were probably the two biggest threats during that game, everyone else just kind of just seemed like the same type of player. And you're like, oh, wow, like you you just they move guys in so frequently in, in and out so frequently. You just had no idea who was out there on the court outside of Vaudrin and Burns. That you knew when they were out there and I guess arms to, to a certain extent. So. The fact that they were just throwing out guys out there, you're like, I couldn't even get like a feel for the game at any point. It was like, oh, you know, Corbin went 0 for 5, but it was like, oh, that could have been like all like four different guys going 0 for 5, it felt like. I can see why we were a little, a little scared of them, but they just weren't hitting shots. And surprisingly enough, Villanova wasn't hitting shots either. They went 8 of 25 from beyond the arc. So I was pretty happy with the defensive performance. You know, we were saying Winthrop's one of the highest paced teams in the country, and they only held them to 63 points. So that that was that's a pretty good defensive effort, especially for what we've been seeing. So, you know, he had like we said, JRE outside of his uh, mid range and long range game, which uh, has to be uh, put on hold. He's so darn good underneath the rim. I just don't understand why he even tries to shoot from long range or mid range at all. And I know if he starts hitting them, they'll have to respect it, and that frees up some other stuff. But at the same time, like whatever's working, just stick with it. Like he was so good underneath. I just keep going with it. Just my only little gripe from the game. But yeah, otherwise, the offense was okay. It was okay enough. And then the defense was a nice, pleasant surprise against the team that we thought we would have trouble with. Yeah, Villanova handled Winthrop a lot better than I thought they would. Granted, in the first half, Winthrop had that little bit of a run to make it a one-point game, and it was pretty close. 
especially with Nova not hitting his shots as frequently as we're accustomed to. However, in the second half, they held Winthrop to just 27.6 overall percent and then just a three for 13 clip from long range. The upset potential was there, but I felt like they just needed that one guy that could just go off at any time. And then maybe that would have helped lift them over the edge or bring them a lot closer to Nova. It just mm-hmm. felt like, yeah, they got all the bodies. They have the 11-man rotation. Like you said, Chris, excellent plug-and-play. Just seamless transition it between all seamless. the different guys. Like, it was like a hockey game. They yeah, were just com- completely right interchangeable. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was pretty smooth. It was pretty cool to watch. But for a team that fast-paced, both ends of the court, Nova didn't get frazzled. Brian Antoine even chipped in a little bit. He hit those two threes. I think that was like the turning point in my eyes. He he had that. He helped spark yeah. that run in the second half. Cole Swider even cashed in a couple threes himself. Yes, want to talk about those two guys specifically? Kind of buried the lead there in my instant analysis. But Swider, I think argue. I know you just mentioned Antoine's two threes, and we'll get to that in a second. But Swider, I think arguably hit the biggest three of the game. He it was at the end of the first half. He freed up his own shot and drilled it, and that gave Villanova the 34-33 lead at half. I'm not saying that the game would have turned out completely different, but imagine going into halftime losing to Winthrop. That would not have been good. That would have been that would have given them a lot more confidence, I feel like, Winthrop did, and also probably would have been debilitating to Villanova. We would have been like, all right, crap. Like We played like all right, and we're still losing to these guys. Like, come on. So I think that was a nice little mental aspect to the game there, the fact that Swider was able to drill that three at the end of the first half. But then Brian Antoine, thank God he had this type of game because now he finally <laughs> is going to be able to play. I am so happy we could finally see him in the rotation. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. <laughs> the dude hits the two threes, like you said, Eugene, sparks the run, hit two clutch free throws at the end of the game to basically seal it. He was just so – he's so athletic. He's, he was active on defense, forced a couple of turnovers, I felt like, played stout defense as well. Like I was just so impressed, and I'm like, this is this is what we've been wanting, and I'm not blaming him. It was just that he just hasn't been used, and I think Jay, you have to give credit to Jay Wright, utilized his bench to I think the utmost efficiency. Maybe would have liked to have seen Dixon a little bit more, but other than that, I thought he managed it great. I thought the rotation was great. I thought Slater and Swider were using the correct spots. I thought he used Antoine in the correct spots. It was awesome, and Antoine to see him hit those shots get things going. You're like, all right, you know, even if, you know, they lose next round, it doesn't matter because at least we know what we have in Antoine. And I'm not saying one or two games is the definitive answer, but at least you can see the glimpse of it. And with some burn, how good this kid can be. You've seen a little bit of glimpses here and there with Antoine, for example, when he had that very nice steal where he fed to Slater in that one game at the pavilion opponent is escaping me. I think it might've been Creighton. I don't remember, but it was pretty recent. It was like a couple of weeks ago. I believe it was great. We've seen a little glimpses like that. He hasn't really gotten the playing time and all, but everyone knows for basketball players to see that ball go through the hoop, nothing like it. That's the feeling that gets you going. You can get, you could be a defensive stopper, but I think for someone young like him, who's had such an up and down path with injuries, getting healthy, then being injured again. I think just seeing the ball go through the hoop, especially knowing how prolific of a scorer and offensive threat he was in high school to see that ball go through the hoop again was a good feeling for him. And Chris, you touched upon it. The bench rotation. It felt like everyone was getting involved here. I think Jay trusted his bench a little bit more. It definitely worked out. And then it worked out again two days later against North Texas. 
and then everyone having a hand in that 84 to 61 victory over North Texas, not Purdue, North Texas. I think it was just nice to see Jay Truss's rotation more. It was also great to mm-hmm. see the guys, the younger guys step up and rise to the occasion and deliver in those minutes. But I think we've we've got a pretty good blueprint moving forward, and especially against a top dog like Baylor this weekend, you're going to need everybody's help. You certainly are. And if Winthrop running 11 guys out there forced Jay's hand, like, well, then props to them. I'm so glad we played them because it, I, I don't know. Like, I think at least in the beginning of the year, at least through the middle of the year, and even towards the end of the year, I don't know if Jay Wright does this. It, it was pretty set in stone what it was – going to be it was six or seven guys and that was it and then colin went down and i think that was a little bit of a wake-up call got to start using your bench a little bit more even though we kind of saw it during the season i remember like one or two games specifically where it was like oh yeah jay like admitted that he just didn't use his bench and then he ended up doing it so the next game but then we revert right back but i i thought the rotation was just really good in this game i thought he used the guys in the correct spots kept everyone fresh and uh despite you know, he, he did start RGD Diacono, which, let's be honest, we weren't the biggest fans of it originally. We thought maybe probably could have started with Anton, but Arch did all right. I, he didn't, I mean, in the Winthrop game, we'll get to North Texas, but in the Winthrop game, he was he was fine. A nice settling presence, which honestly, at this point, it would, you'll take. So uh, it was it was fine. I, I, I loved it. I love the utilization of the bench. We've been clamoring for it all year, and it's finally happening at the best time. Exactly, exactly. It's nice to see it. It's also great to see everyone get involved, get some NCAA tournament experience. Like we said, we saw it again against North Texas. Villanova winning 84 to 61. Four different guys in double figures with Robinson are leading the way again with 18.6 boards, six assists. Jermaine Samuels also had a solid game himself with 15 points and nine rebounds. Justin Moore matched him with 15 more points, four rebounds and five assists. And then Caleb Daniels rounding out the starting five with 11 points, two rebounds, one assist. Just looking at the rest of Villanova's production, Chris Archidiakono, welcome to the scorers column. He finally hit a couple of threes, which was nice to see. I think it kind of set the tone a little bit. He had mm-hmm. gotten his points before from the free throw line, but it was nice to see him finally hit his first few shots of the season. And then Cole Schweider, Brian Antoine chipping in again. Schweider hitting some big threes, playing some pretty de- decent defense as well. And then Eric Dixon, and people forget this guy's a stretch big, and he hit a three, which is <laughs> always fun to see when you see Dixon score and do positive things. And overall, Villanova, 15 of 30 from deep, 50% on the floor. Just an amazing offensive performance. And I don't think we've seen a shooting performance like this from Villanova in quite some time. So it felt good that this is what they needed to do in order to get to the Sweet 16. For sure. And, you know, you can – clown on them all you want because it's like oh well you haven't played a real team yet i mean you play who's on the schedule play who's on your bracket (laughs) you play who's in the tournament it's not their fault that purdue played like absolute crap against north texas and north texas after that purdue game was a lot of people were riding high on them hamlet was like probably going to be a star of the tournament if they ended up beating villanova like he was just he's a fun player to watch and what seeing what he did against purdue was uh certainly Something that you would remember, remember, like, remember, oh, yeah, remember when North Texas beat Purdue? Oh, yeah, remember that Hamlet guy? It's like one of those things you look back on in, in a few years. And you're like, oh, yeah, that guy was really good. But despite all that, Villanova went out there and probably played their most complete game of the season outside of maybe the Hartford game and one of the Marquette games. They were shooting the lights out. 
They were out in transition a lot, hitting a lot of open threes, which is something we certainly needed, especially after the Winthrop game where they didn't shoot all particularly well. Justin Moore was getting to the basket. Jermaine Samuels was driving to the basket. Jeremiah Robinson Earl again underneath was fantastic. Still was doing a little bit of the mid-range and long-range stuff. Uh, he did hit eventually, but still, let's just keep it underneath the basket. And even Caleb Daniels was getting involved too, which I was really happy. He had like two or three threes right in like the first half that really started things going. And then you mentioned Swider. He hit a couple of key threes late in the first. His defense, everyone's hyping up his defense. And for good reason, I thought he did play pretty good defense. And maybe I'm just being a little bit nitpicky, but there was a stretch in the beginning of the second half where he lost his man on back-to-back possessions because he collapsed toward the middle. And the guy was wide open on the swing pass and they converted on both. And then Jay had to call a timeout and that dropped the lead from like 20 something to 15. Not that it was like detrimental, but I was just like, all right, like, that was a little weird. I was surprised Swider stayed out there, but then he ended up shoring everything up. So I was pretty happy with his performance. And then Antoine looking great again. So I, I have no complaints. I was just so happy with the way they played, able to put this team away and, get to the sweet 16, something that we weren't expecting. Let's be honest. We were expecting Purdue and we were expecting a, not a beat down, but we were not expecting a a relatively competitive game. And lo and behold, they get the break that we've been clamoring for them to get. They got (laughs) it. About time. About time. Since what? 2008? 2008. First. Yeah. yeah, 2008. First time they got like a legit upset in their their next possible game. It was good. It was good to see. And now your reward is uh, probably the second best team in the country. I, I will so, say after that game on Sunday night, me, shout out to the doghouse stealing their internet from down the street. I don't even know how it reached me. Maximized the most out of those two bars, but I was able to catch like the last 10 minutes or so. Following along, reading the box score. And after that, Chris, I was like, you know what? Give me Gonzaga. Give me the 96 Bulls. Give me the Warriors. I'll take We'll take them right now. We'll take them right now. I felt so good. I was so hyped. Just amazing to see this team go to the Sweet 16. We didn't expect it. A lot of people didn't expect it. But once Purdue went down, you could tell. You could tell. There was definitely a pretty good feeling that we'd make it to that next round. And not only that, I know, Chris, he talked about it. Haters are going to be like, oh, you guys had an easy path. Or, oh, you guys didn't have to play Purdue. No one's going to remember that. No one's going to remember that down the line. It's like, it's those things. Just like the whole underseeded thing. Like, yeah, literally Chicago is underseeded. Yeah, Illinois was still the favorite, but no one's going to remember that. Wisconsin also underseeded. Baylor didn't have a problem facing them, and that's a good Baylor team. But just want to wrap things up on North Texas. Yeah, Chris, that Hamlet guy, very, very fun to watch. 25 points, six boards. Got to give him a shout-out. And his dad, too, wearing that ball. I was going to say, yeah, his dad was really (laughs) selling the show there. Also, the the whole play on thing with the Hamlet and the Shakespeare stuff. So good. It was good. I, I usually that's the type of stuff I, I like roll my eyes at, but that was I was uh, playing into it, later leaning into it. I was all for it. The best part is he's never read in his life. So amazing. So amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Just adds to it. it. It really does. It really does. Yeah, North Texas Mean Green. Uh, shout outs to Catherine Ryan for pointing out that they were named after Mean Joe Green. I would it even made the connection. Is that actually true? Or is that just her being entertaining? I whether it's true or not, I don't <laughs> care. I'm going to believe it, just like how I believed her Bible verse at the end. No, I knew I knew about that. I knew about that stuff. It was a nice welcome change of pace, relatively easier game in the second round, and a performance that we can be very proud of. And like you said, Eugene, after that game, I felt the same way you did. 
I'm like, just who cares? Like, why not us? Why can't yeah. we be the team that pulls off like the Auburn type run from 2019 where they were a five seed and went to the final four? Why can't we be like Brandon Knight's Kentucky team of like 2011 to when they went to the final four and they were a four seed? Why can't we be like the Trey Burke Michigan team that went to the final four? Why, why not? Why not us? But then, you know, then you pull back the layers, you take a day off or two and you start, the doubt starts setting in again and you're like, oh boy. Baylor and you after watching them against Wisconsin scary good scary good definitely an impressive team but we knew that they were kind of considered one of the top teams around along with Gonzaga they were just kind of in a tier of their own for pretty much most of the season but we'll get a crack at them it's funny because this was supposed to happen in Bubbleville it didn't a lot of people were upset now here we are in March of course, the road will have to go through them and Hinkle Fieldhouse. Obviously, there's a big game this weekend, and we're excited. We're trying something a little new. We're having a little special guest in the house. DraftKings head of sportsbook Johnny Avello is here, and he's going to talk to us about Villanova's odds moving forward and also just kind of the madness that's been going on so far this March. All right, we're joined now by Johnny Avello, the DraftKings head of sportsbook. Chris, I know you're excited, but Johnny, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, you're welcome, Eugene. Thanks for having me. Johnny, what a tournament we've been having so far. If you could just tell us, you know, what's it been like for, for DraftKings during this time and, and how everything's been going on that front? Well, they call it March Madness, and, you know, there always is some madness, but this has been extreme madness. Uh, you know what I think, Eugene? I, I think a lot of these teams didn't come into the tournament on their best foot, uh, not tournament ready, didn't get to play their full slate of games this year. And it's showing uh, they're they're not sharp, some of them, and they're not making comebacks in the second half. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. And I know this is the time of the year where all the teams want to peak. And so far, it looks like we've had a lot of Cinderella's peaking at certainly the right time. Just wanted to ask you, what are Villanova's odds right now? They've reached the Sweet 16 without Colin Gillespie, which has been a, a pretty big talking point. But now they've got the big, massive, big dog in front of them a big matchup against Baylor this Saturday, but how are their odds looking to continue and where do they go from here in the tournament? Yeah. You know, this is a, this is going to be a tough one. You know, the first game against Winthrop, uh, everyone, everyone was on the Winthrop side and thought, you know, Winthrop with their one loss uh, was going to surprise Villanova, but that did not happen. Uh, and then they caught a break and they didn't have to, they didn't have to play, uh, you know, Purdue. So uh, they ended up with North Texas they kind of have an easy time with North Texas. They played a great game there. They shot, uh, you know, over 50% from the field. They hit 15 threes, uh, no turn, you know, very limited on the turnovers in the game and just played a wonderful game. Um, you know, now it gets a little bit tougher, doesn't it? You get the number one seed Baylor, only a couple losses for the whole year. Uh, so uh, I'd look, I'm always been a Villanova believer. You, you got Jay right there. He's got a couple national championships. He knows what he's doing. And right now for the people at home, the biggest wager for Villanova was placed right before the season or early on in the season for Villanova to win it all. Someone put down $2,493 on DraftKings. Pretty big, pretty big bet there. Pretty big bet there. I, I probably felt sure about that before Colin Gillespie went down. But right now, mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, you know, they're, they're still 25 to 1. We had them about 50 or 60 before the tournament started. Uh, you know, that, that's really too bad about Gillespie. Uh, you know, that's a that's a tough kid to lose, you know, averaging 14 points a game, a bunch of assists, and 
you know, he he did help him get, win the you know the last national championship. Um, you know, he's that I think he came off. He was a bench player then. He came off the bench, did an extraordinary job. So uh, it hurts, but hey. These guys know how to pick up the slack for somebody. There's a lot of good athletes on that team. And uh, it's you know, like their sixth and seventh uh, players are are good players. And, you know, now they some of the other kids get a chance to shine. Johnny, I know Chris had a few questions for you. He was very excited to talk to you. He's he's based in New Jersey, <laughs> and he's been pretty addicted to DraftKings since it first came out in Jersey. Download the app right today. It came out. Very happy to hear the news back from when was it a year or two ago. Um, so, Johnny, my question to you, Villanova-centric, just to start off, with relation to Gillespie's injury, how does that? How did you guys kind of go about adjusting the lines for that? Was it a pretty significant hit? I mean, I wasn't tracking day to day, but like once you found out that the uh, he suffered that knee injury, what? How did that go to uh, Villanova's odds for the tournament? Yeah, um, you know, they were six. We we opened them up a, a six-point favorite, six-and-a-half-point favorite over Winthrop. Uh, they would have been probably nine in that game had he been in. And, and they were taking a Winthrop in the game. I mean, we had a ton of Winthrop money. Uh, people really mm-hmm. did feel that 12 seed. You know how that 5-12 seed goes, right? Everybody thinks that. You know, Very sexy pick. It really is. And, you know, they, they have been productive and – effective in the years if they don't win a lot of times they do get the cover um but we you know the adjustment was made uh, on the game itself and on the future book uh we had them um, probably 35 or so and we bumped them up to i think it was about 50 50 or 60 when the news we didn't really believe they could win the tournament without right. him being in there uh you know that's yet to be seen it's still a tough road get by this one right here who knows, right? But th- you know, this is the game. You got to be. You got to meet the big dog at some point. So you might as well meet him now. Right. I know uh, Eugene and I have had uh, discussions already about this being the game for Nova, where if they can get past it, it's looking it's looking favorable. I mean, do you do you think? Let's just say, let's play a little bit of fantasy land here. Let's just say Villanova does beat Baylor going into that potential Arkansas or Roberts game. Do you, you think they're favored in both scenarios? Would that be correct? Uh, probably so. Yeah. You know, Arkansas was a small dog to Texas tech and mm-hmm. if Villanova, what this means, if Villanova beats Baylor, their power rating shoots back up, uh, even without Gillespie. So therefore, yeah, the power rating jump alone will make them the favorite. Right. Yeah. I only asked that because of the Arkansas line. I saw that before the game the other night and I was just like, wow, there's a three seed. They were, were dogs. And, uh, I mean, everyone was pretty high on Texas tech. Um, just as an overall searching view, though, did you see, at least compared to tournaments in the past, I felt like this year, and Eugene and I have discussed this ad nauseum, that we really thought going in that like these were this was the year that all the top seeds go in and they just run away with it. The one seeds win. And as we have seen the past weekend, that isn't the case. Have you seen more action for more of the higher favorites, more so the favorites, more tickets, more handle, or was it more so did you see a lot of action for the underdogs this year just because nobody knew with all these non-con games getting canceled because of COVID? We normally see uh, a mix of action in the tournament, especially the first round. Uh, the first round, you have all the games going, and there's just a, a lot of live dogs in that first round. And the betters like to bet those dogs in the first round. The, the, uh, the favorites do get bet. Uh, a lot of times they're hooked up in parlays and money line parlays. I can tell you that 
the Illinois game, both of these games took place on the same day, and they were our largest win of the day and our biggest loss of the day. Uh, and that was Illinois uh, playing Loyola. Uh, Illinois just had a ton of money. They had just about every ticket on them. So we did well mm-hmm. in that game. But in the Florida Oral Roberts game, just about every ticket was on Oral Roberts. So we took a beat in that game. So those two kind of canceled out each other, but they were the biggest win and loss of not only that day, but the entire tournament so far. Gotcha. No, that's that's pretty interesting. I wouldn't think that Oral Roberts would do you in. Would you have ever predicted that going going into the tournament, that Oral Roberts would be the one to, to cause you guys problems? Well, you know, I'm, I'm seeing the money come in, and I'm watching every – before that game started, about an hour, hour and a half out, it seemed like every money line ticket was on Oral Roberts. And let's face it, you know, Florida didn't have the greatest of years. Um, and, uh, you know, they – they were vulnerable, and I think that the betters uh, felt they were vulnerable. Gotcha. Is there any dog in the past that you remember, like, just specifically, like, freaking you out as, like, the money was coming in that you just didn't feel sure about? I mean, it doesn't have to be college basketball related. I mean, I know when the Giants went on their two runs in 07 and 11, a lot of uh, betters were freaking out with them. Uh, any, like, specific ones? Just just out of curiosity. Wow, there are so many in my career. <laughs> yeah, it is so hard. <laughs> I mean, it seems like every week I got a new one. So, you know, if I've got one new one every week, that's 50, 52 weeks times 36, 37 years in the business. I got a couple thousand of them to share with you. Right. <laughs> just, just one. Yeah, I figured just ask if there was anyone that would be specific. I mean, I know when you're running the Vegas books, I can only imagine how that is on a daily basis. <laughs> No, I mean, there's always a couple that stand out. You know, when the Eagles were a dog in the Super Bowl, they won. Uh, a lot of players were on the Eagles in the money line. Um, so, you know, we, we're, in a bit, we're in the business to take bets. And there, there's times when we're out of whack and players are on the dog and get there. And it's, that's great for them. And, you know, we live to see another day and they come back and bet again. And then there's times when the, the favorite wins and, a lot of players are on the dog and it doesn't get there. So, you know, for, as a bookmaker, you just got to keep your wits about you. You don't worry about things like that. You just take bets and and uh, and move on to the next topic. So, Johnny, right now, Villanova's odds to win it all are 25 to one. But where does that stack up to the rest of the 15 remaining teams? We're around in the 10th uh, spot. No, no, let's see. Let me see if I can get a quick seven spot. Um You've got the, the Zags are the favorite at, uh, at three to two. And the Zags have never been high. I mean, I think maybe at the beginning of the year, they were seven to one, possibly eight. But, you know, when a team never loses, you continuously take money on them at all prices. Uh, Baylor's the second choice at three. And that's, of course, who they match up against. Uh, Houston's sitting at nine. Loyola's at nine. That's a surprise, you know, this early at Sweet 16. Uh, Arkansas 17, um, Alabama 20, and then then uh, Villanova set 25. Wow, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty interesting. Is there a line yet on the Villanova-Baylor game? What are the odds for this Saturday matchup? Oh, yeah, we've had that line up for quite some time, right? We try to get these lines up as soon as the matchup is made. So this oh, wow. line has been up for a while. We opened the game six and a half, um, and we're still at six and a half. The, uh, so there's good balance on the game so far. The total's been bet over, though. We opened 137 and a half. We're up to 139. I actually can't bet the, the uh, 
the betters for playing this one over. I mean, it, Villa, uh, the Baylor's a good shooting team. Villanova's really not a great defensive team, but, you know, obviously they can shoot the, the ball when, when needed. Uh, so, you know, I, I could see this turn into a track meet possibly. Not a real – not a heavy-duty track meet, maybe a, a mid, uh, you know, mid, so to speak, uh, track meet. So, Johnny, with relation to the line, and I, this has actually been a question of uh, thought of mine since football season. I, since every game is in Indianapolis, usually these games would be, you know, somewhere in an arena with fans of the higher seed in a region that would be, you know, natural for them. Like, I don't know where Baylor would have been in a non-COVID world, but it probably would have been somewhere near home and there would have been a lot of Baylor fans. With, this, with all these games being in a very neutral site in Indianapolis, how does that affect the line? Or how have you guys kind of adjusted to the line in this COVID world? You know, I, I didn't think anybody had a real advantage except for maybe Purdue and some Big Ten teams because Big Ten teams close proximity didn't have a travel. But boy, that sure hasn't worked out, has it? Miss no. State, <laughs> Miss State's gone, Illinois's gone, Ohio State's gone, Purdue's gone. <laughs> right. it, just, it didn't pan out the way I thought it was gonna. So so much for the uh, for the home court advantage. Oh, by the way, Iowa's gone too. Right, exactly. So do you think in a non-COVID world where if this was an arena near like Baylor's home, do you think there's would be more of like a nine point line instead of the six, six and a half you kind of got it at right now? Yeah, maybe not nine, but, you know, at least another, if it was in the, at least the state of Texas, close proximity, mm-hmm. you know, Baylor would probably be worth another point and a half. Gotcha. Okay. It's, it's, so would, so I, I guess, Another question, just personal question with regards to the football, I'm assuming you were sending lines for those as well. Did you happen? Did you have to adjust with the non fan factor, despite there obviously being there's significant home field advantage of football Did the no fans affect the line making at all? It did. In college, it was a little different in college and it was in pros. If a team, according to uh, you know our ratings, was a three-point home field advantage, that's kind of an average. Not everybody's three. Some are four. Some are two. Some are one and a half. When they even have fans in the stands, um, we cut those in half initially to start with, and then we kept a close eye on it to see if it did make a difference and which teams it did make a difference to playing on their home uh, turf. You know, was it? Was it the locker room? Was it the no travel? Whatever it was. So there were, we made adjustments along the way. Uh, for college football, it was a little different. Um, you know, we, we probably gave a little more to some of the, the big name schools, you know, the Clemsons and the Alabamas. Uh, they weren't worth their full home field, but we didn't cut them down as much as we did at the pros. It's interesting stuff. I know Chris and I had been wondering just from looking at lines and and things like that unfortunately i'm in new york so not legalized here yet but we always wondered what impact the non-fans or empty arenas or neutral sites had on how lines are adjusted or shifted so that's that's real interesting stuff i I really appreciated your insights today johnny oh you're welcome hey you know hopefully we'll like we'll get this digital app going in new york Uh, (laughs) i know they've been thinking about it i know it's it's been the, the talks are starting to turn up. Yeah, we're getting closer, guys. Let's just hope that the uh, the decision is the correct one. We'll see. We'll see. Once again, DraftKings head of sportsbook, Johnny Avello, thank you again for your time. Thank you for joining us on State of the Nova Nation. You're welcome, guys. Have a good day and enjoy the rest of the tournament. Oh, we will. Thanks we so will. Much, Johnny. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks again, Johnny. Bye-bye. 
Chris, that was that was really cool. We got a lot of inside info. I don't know how much of that's going to help me. I'll, I'll probably still have bad luck anyway when it comes to picking things. But that was really cool. That was awesome. I, I wish I got to tell him that I started placing bets on the team's Nova plays because I've been so cold lately that it actually helps out Villanova win. So <laughs> I'm sure he appreci- he would have appreciated that. Nah, but in all seriousness, no, that was awesome. Great to get some insight. Uh, I was very curious about the whole fan thing, if that's been affecting lines at all. So, yeah, no, it's, it's great. And from the sounds of it, he doesn't, doesn't seem too bullish on Villanova going forward. But, you know, if he did say, though, if he gets through it, they, they are most likely the favorites from here on out. So why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you know how it is. You know how it is. Lolo's been been divine the odds since since two thousand nine, since Jay Wright first put the suit on, since Raleigh Massimino <laughs> came in, and, and then they had the run in nineteen eighty five. I would love to know what the what the lines were like that night. Oh God, <laughs> dude! If you were in Vegas in eighty five, you either won a lot or you lost a lot. <laughs> There's no in between. <laughs> yeah, good point. Really cool stuff. Yeah, that was that was some great questions because I know we were all wondering, and it's always been kind of like a subject for players and coaches, right? It's like how how much does an empty arena affect you? Is home court advantage just even still a thing? Guess mm-hmm. guess not that much. Yeah, you only said what a point point and a half. I mean, for betting purposes, that's a lot, <laughs> but in the grand scheme of things, it's like oh, well, it's really not that bad. It may, it's almost kind of you almost kind of prefer it to be at a neutral court at that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's crazy that Villanova was fifty to one at the start of the tournament, but now the twenty-five to one. The bookkeepers are learning. Can't bet against <laughs> Archie Diakno in March. You can't bet against Jay Wright in March. <laughs> Slowly but surely, Eugene, they're getting there. I'm, uh, I'm glad they are so- somewhat figuring it out. Chris Archie Diakno, more wins in an NCAA tournament than Colin Gillespie. <sighs> See, that's the type of stuff that gets me sad. You <laughs> poor Collins probably chomping at the bed, sitting at home, just being like, "I want, I want a piece of Baylor." He wants revenge for last year. You can tell. You can he, tell. he was the only one cooking in that game. Well, he wasn't the only one. Sadiq Bay was pretty decent too, but he had twenty-seven. Yeah. We're, we're missing a big piece. So like, it's, I'm loving it, the momentum we're on, but then it's like, like you said, Chris, start looking at this team and the analytics, and it's like, oh, oh. <laughs> Oh, and they got yeah. oh they got everybody. Oh, hello. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they they I, as I pointed out to you earlier the other day, Baylor lost to Gillespie, and so did Villanova. <laughs> so that's basically the trade off. And then on top of that, yeah, like you said, Villanova lost City a first round pick in City Bay. So, and look, I understand two different teams from two different years. I get it, but when you look at it, and it's basically the same roster both times, it's it's hard not to make the comparisons, you know. Yeah, exactly. Baylor didn't really lose very much from last year, and Villanova definitely lost a lot with Gillespie down and out, and then Sadiq Bey to the NBA. So a lot of familiar faces. I still remember that Myrtle Beach Invitational game. It was a letdown because we were at you know at the time we were like Baylor, what? Yeah, like they they play basketball. What? <laughs> These guys are good again. Like I remember they had that one good stretch a few years ago, but then some problems happened, and then off the court problems. I think. And then all of a sudden, here they are, very experienced team, a lot of guys back, and they're in pretty good position to make a run. However, Villanova has had the big upsets before, especially when it comes to the Big 12. We're still Big 12 champs, Chris. We haven't given up the throne. We still got the banner hanging from 2018-19. <laughs> 
still yeah, got a conference. I got to repeat as champs. This is a great way to do it. Amazing yeah. way to do it. An amazing yeah. way to do it. So, Chris, this Baylor team, the analytics love them. I mean, they've been in that conversation with Gonzaga for pretty much most of the season. But in order to be the best, you got to beat the best. So here we are. Villanova's got a crack against the top seed, the top seed of their region. Tell me a little bit more about the Bears. They're coming in 24-2. and two. They look pretty good against Wisconsin. I can't lie. They definitely look very good against Hartford. Shout out to Tracy Carter. Sorry it didn't work out the way you wanted to. They stumbled a little bit against Oklahoma State. However, for the most part this year, Chris, they've been looking pretty good. Yeah, it's really hard to find a weak spot with this roster or just team in general and what they do wrong. Like on Kempom, going into the little bit of the analytics side, they're third in adjusted offense and 35th in adjusted defense. And that defensive number just seems so low compared to what they usually would do. But their offense is just so high flying; it really makes up for any sort of deficiencies they have defensively. And it's and their defense isn't even that bad to begin with. Tempo wise, as we like pointing this out now, uh, they're 157, so right in the smack dab of the middle of the pack there. So they're not going to push the tempo, but they're not going to sit back either. But they do have the guys to get out up and running. And against the slower paced Villanova team, it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure Villanova will probably want to slow this down as much as possible, muck it up, and that'll probably be the best way to come out ahead. So as for Baylor, what makes them so good? Like, you know, like who did they beat this year? Well, they did beat number five, Illinois. And despite Illinois, uh, let's say, uh, disastrous weekend against Loyola, Chicago, uh, they were still one of the best teams in the country throughout the year. And they throttled them 82 to 69. They ran through the Big 12, beating Texas Tech, Kansas, you know, all the usual suspects there. And yes, they did lose twice this year. They lost to Kansas and Oklahoma State. And the common theme in both of those losses, which is probably how Villanova is going to win this, and I hate to say it, it's probably not going to be due to their own volition. It's going to be the Baylor shooting themselves in the foot. And by shooting themselves in the foot, I mean not making a shot at all. Baylor is a very good shooting team. They shoot over 40% from beyond the arc. I can't even think of a team that has ever done that, that we have ever previewed, or even come close to 40%. Usually we'll highlight a guy who's shooting over 40%, not the team. That's absurd. As a team, though, from the field, totally, they shoot around 50%. These guys just don't miss. But back to the point with their losses, in both those games, they shot 34.8% against Kansas in that loss, and then they shot again 38.7% in their loss against Oklahoma State. Both, though, in both games as well, they shot 20% or around 20% from beyond the arc. So if they're going to miss their threes, you have a shot. You just got to convert on yours. And that's what Kansas and Oklahoma State did. They both shot around 50% from the field in both of those games, and they were able to beat Baylor because of that. Obviously, that's a lot. That's not a groundbreaking revelation either. It's like you make your shots, the other team doesn't. Duh. But that's how good Baylor is. That's the only way they're going to – not the only way they're going to beat them, but that is going to be a key way to do it. Now, individually, their big three, Jared Butler, Macy Oteague, and Davian Mitchell, all averaging four, above 14 points per game. Jared Butler is the – the key guy, though, he's averaging around 17 points a game, shooting 41 and a half percent from beyond the arc. He can do it all. He can dish. He can rebound. He can score from anywhere on the court, not just from beyond the arc. Maceo Teague shooting around 40 percent from three, shoot 48 percent from the field, averaging 16. He can also rebound pretty well as a guard. And Davian Mitchell averaging 14 points a game, shooting over 50 percent from the field and 46.1 percent from beyond the arc. Uh, those three alone, and there's a bunch of other guys we'll get into too, 
But those three alone, they're just a very big problem. We've highlighted teams in the past where it's like, oh, you know, these three guys are like the three-headed monster for this team. Well, this blows all those three-headed monsters out of the water. Yeah, this is a Baylor team we should be pretty familiar with. They've got a lot of the same guys back from last year's matchup in the Myrtle Beach Invitational. And that game, Chris, we got a little glimpse of how good that offense can be. Obviously, they've been great all year. However, in that matchup last year, if you remember, Villanova was up, closing minutes of the game, up eight or nine, looked like that they were in pretty good position to win it. Then they went cold, and all of a sudden, Baylor heated up and took that game from Villanova. This year, you look at it, a lot of the same role players, a lot of the same key guys. Butler and Mitchell are both All-Americans. The three-point shooting, just to put it in perspective, they're shooting 41.5% as a team which is higher than that 2018 Villanova national championship team. And we know how great that team was offensively, how great that they were at shooting the three, everybody from one through five on that starting five of that 2018 team could sling it. This team is there and they're shooting just a little bit better than them, which is kind of crazy. Granted as great as they are offensively, they're no slouches defensively. They do most of their damage by forcing turnovers, which they're very good at. They force them in just under 25% of opponents' possessions. So it's going to be another one of those games where ball security, taking care of the ball is definitely going to be valued. You give a team like this extra possessions and extra opportunities, they're going to make sure you pay for it. And that's exactly what they've done pretty much so far. We're going to hope for another bad day at the office. It looks like one that Nova is going to have to just muck it up. Much like they did against top-ranked Kansas last year and that thriller at the Wells Fargo Center just around Christmas time. Just an ugly game offensively, but they had no problem getting down and dirty on D. We're going to have to see something like that again. Chris, this Baylor team, pretty scary. Pretty scary, but hey, yeah, we'll you know, we're, we're here. We're here. We got the Sweet 16. They already went further than we thought they would and most people thought they would. Honestly, just bring on the Bears. Let's see what happens. We got a week to prepare. I think the biggest thing is that Villanova has gotten more and more comfortable and has adjusted to post-Colin Gillespie life. Mm-hmm. It was definitely shaky against Providence and very shaky against Georgetown. However, they've just gotten better over time. And I think, what is it now? It's going to be three weeks. That extra week is going to help. About, yeah. yeah, it is. And I think Jay was kind of hammering home that point during his uh, presser after the North Texas game that like, he's just like, yeah, I'm just happy to have a practice week. Cause he's like, you know, usually in times like these non COVID times, it would be like, all right, you go home, you get the fanfare and then you practice like maybe a day or two and then you're out to your next destination. And, but he, now he gets a full week. So I think he was pretty happy with that. And that's obviously that should help them. Obviously more practice uh, with this type of rotation should definitely help. But yeah, Eugene, happy to be here, but, we're not done yet. Bring on the Bears. Probably going to be the toughest task all tournament. I'm, I'm even going to say that. If they were to win this game. Top top three. Top three coaching performance all time. <laughs> top three coaching performance all time. I 100% agree. I would even, like right now, and, and despite the competition, I would still say like this has been one of Jay Wright's best, you know, coached weekends like ever, or at least in the past few years, I should say. You know, if you go out here and beat the number two team in the country, and then you get an op- a chance to go up against Arkansas or Oral Roberts. I don't want to get too f- far ahead of ourselves, but the, the, that alliterative turn that starts with an F and into a <laughs> final four, it's, it, that sounds uh, pretty good. It's very possible. This is the game. you get If you can somehow climb Mount Baylor, oh, why not? Why not Villanova, you know? 
I know that that other side of the bracket looks like you know the, you guys have so this. I, yeah, you get yeah. past this. Come on, come on. Uh, you, you start playing with a lot of scenarios in your head. A lot of yeah. <laughs> stuff starts happening. You get really excited, and then even farther. And I know this is probably a bad idea to do this, but going farther, you look at the region that they would play in the final four. Right now, it's Houston's to lose. I mean, they play Syracuse and then look at the winner of Loyola and Oregon State. And Loyola is no pushover. They are a very good team. I believe in them. And analytics believe in them. But it's not Illinois. And despite, you know, almost losing the Rutgers, can you imagine, like, whoever comes out of this region is going to would have had to have played a seed no lower than eight or no higher than eight, I should say. So that's that would, that would have been pretty wild. But either way. I don't want to get too far out of ourselves because uh, uh, Jared Butler, Misio Teague, and Davian Mitchell are going to be <sighs> very, very problematic. I know uh, all eyes are on Baylor, and I definitely just want to focus on this Bears team. However, just quickly, give me, give me the skinny on the other two teams that the winner of this matchup on Saturday would potentially face. Well, we'll start with the Cinderella of the hour, Cinderella of the year, possibly – if they somehow beat Arkansas, it might be Cinderella of the decade. <laughs> uh, Oral Roberts, 15 seed from the Summit Conference, Summit Conference tournament champions. Uh, right now, they're 128th in Kempom. And uh, if we're looking around that ballpark, you want to know who they're on par with, Eugene? You want to take a guess? Same ballpark, I should say. You want to take a guess? Uh, Creighton. <laughs> It, it certainly feels like it. <laughs> yeah, that's what it feels like. Well, what are they actually? The Paul. Wow. So imagine the imagine the Paul playing in the Sweet Sixteen. That's just something I can't possibly fathom. And this, but this Oral Roberts team is nothing like the Paul. Let's be honest. They're uh, they seem to be you know everything that a Cinderella needs. Good free throw shooting team, and they can knock down threes. I mean, we saw what they did against Ohio State. They were hacking them up. They were they were pulling out raggy bombs, dude. They were shooting from the logo. They were pulling up from the wing and transition. They did not care. And they were hitting them. Maybe not at a, the greatest percentage clip, but they were hitting them. And you got Ed O'Banner, who's a very good forward for them. He's a very good free throw shooter, hit a bunch of clutch free throws against Ohio State. He can score inside, and he's been a very big key component in that. Then you got Max A. Smith's. Well, I know everyone, you see his last name, you want to say Abnus, but it ain't, it ain't that. That's how, that's how <laughs> you see who are the casuals and the real diehard fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's certainly a, a good barometer to see if you've been watching the tournament this year. Sophomore guard, he averaged around 24 and a half points per game during the regular season and has become an instant darling in this tournament. Uh, between him and Hamlet, it was a good competition for the first weekend, like, you know, mid-major upset, you know, guy of the year, <laughs> guard of the year. And uh, it's it's now Ace Smith's title to lose pretty much. It, a lot of people are making a lot of C.J. McCollum references. I, I, I don't know. In comparisons, I don't know about that. I mean, I am not a pro talent evaluator, but I guess that's what happens when you're a small guard and you score a lot and you're, you play for a 15 seed that won. So I guess that's just the automatic comparison you're going to make. <laughs> so that's Oral Roberts. Those are the two big guys. I mean, we, if you've been watching any sort of the tournament, you know exactly what we're talking about. And Arkansas is the other potential opponent. Arkansas actually right now, as we record today, 
is ranked below Villanova and Ken Palm. So that gives me even more hope. They are currently 14th while Villanova's 12th. Uh, Arkansas 37th in adjusted offense, but they have a pretty good defense as 11th overall and 17th in adjusted tempo. So get ready for a up and down game if that were to happen. But that seems to have not have been a problem for Villanova in the past, as exemplified by their round one opponent. Just a couple of key guys to highlight. Moses Moody, averaging about 17 points per game for them. He's their do-it-all scorer guy, averaging about six rebounds as well. And then Justin Smith, averaging about 14 points and leads the team rebounding with about seven boards as well. So just a quick little preview of those guys. I mean, we would go a little bit more into depth. We're just a little unsure about how this Baylor game is going to go. Also, as exemplified by this tournament this year, who the heck knows who's going to come out of that game, man. It, it might very well be Oral Roberts. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's the other thing, too. It's it's like just with the way that this whole tournament has been, we might see the most amount of low seeds, nine or lower, reach the furthest stages of the tournament, which would be great to watch. I mean, it's cool to see how they've been able to kind of do what they've been able to do this year. However, can't really look ahead too much into that. No, 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 no. Especially when you got just like Baylor first, Baylor first. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, Especially when you got the uh, bear of Baylor uh, that's facing you right directly in the face. It's going to be like the Revenant. We're going to be Leonardo (laughs) DiCaprio destroying the bear. Yeah, hopefully they win the Oscar or something. So <laughs> hopefully it's an Oscar winning performance. Oscar winning performance, which culminates in a regional trophy, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. That'd be, that'd we'll be very nice. Be very nice. Chris, is, it, is this the year of the five seed? Is this the year of the five seed? <laughs> it, it, dude, it, you, you go through a weekend like that. And this, I keep saying it, but despite the competition, you can't help yourself, but get excited for that type of thinking. It's like, this is going to be the first five seed to get to do it. This is going to be, you know, back-to-back tournaments where the five seed makes a final four. Why not then? Right? Why not then? So I, I'm just all excited. Sorry. If, <laughs> Despite Baylor. If Oral Roberts can do it, or if all these <laughs> other Cinderella's can knock off these big boys, we could do it right now. Yeah, we're hurting. But why not us, Chris? That's what you said. Why not us? Why not us? Why not? But, you know, it's funny, Eugene. You also start thinking about some negative stuff, too. And I don't mean to put it out there, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you see all these upsets happening. See everything, all like 15 seeds making the Sweet 16. 11 seeds are making runs again. Twos are losing the sevens. Shout outs to Iowa. Thanks a lot. But it's like, after all that, watch it be. Baylor and Gonzaga, like it was predestined to be in the finals. Gonzaga Nova, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. I would take that. I, I would take I, that. Yeah. I, I, sign me up today. Like, <laughs> like, like, like we said, that means, that means Jay Wright pulled together top three masterful coaching performance. Honestly, it would be, it would be a sight to behold. I would be all for it. But let's get through it this weekend. Get hyped. Saturday, thank God it's not another 10.35 p.m. game. They're not pushing it back last minute like they did on freaking Friday night. That was awful. Like, come on. We were all prepped for 9.45, and then they're like, oh, yeah, never mind, 10.15. Like, come on. <laughs> but at least this is at a reasonable hour, 5.15, and even if it gets pushed back like 15 minutes, you're fine. Be wide awake, energized, hyped up. Be a good, it'll be a good way to start the uh, Saturday night. Adult beverages. Lots of them. (laughs) Let's get it.
All right, Chris, that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, pop open the mailbag and answer the questions that you, the listeners, have for us. As always, you can tweet us at SONNPod. Ask us anything. We'll talk about it on the show. First one here is from John Paul May. He wants to know, lots of new player combinations by Jay on Sunday. Swider went from starter to eighth man and probably learned how to play defense and go perfect from three. Has he earned his way back to sixth or starter, or is Jay going to continue to go with B.A. and Slater against the Bears? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know. I, I think he just kind of keeps it the way it is. I don't think he's going to give Swider more playing time for this game. I think he's going to want to rely on a little bit more defensive-oriented players, but we'll see. I mean, obviously, if Villanova was struggling from the field, I think he'll throw Swider out there. I think the reason why Swider was just out there for as much as he was against North Texas was just because of the way he was playing. I think he was just being rewarded. But I think we'll go back to normal rotation. And by normal, I mean the one that's been enacted for the past two games. So I think I think B.A. and Slater are the way to go. What do you think? Yeah, I would, I would agree that B.A., not so much Slater, he – Swider's still playing more minutes since later, but I would guess that Antoine still gets a lot of minutes just because we're pretty much down to two point guards. Yeah, we have Justin Moore, but Nova likes to use him more off the ball than put the ball in his hands. So it's really Archie Diacono and Antoine once in a while point forward Jeremiah Robinson Earl. But I just feel like if Archie Diacono is not on, then you go with Antoine there naturally just to – plug him back in there so with that said i i think that's why everything will pretty much just stay the same unless just try to play well again but he'll play more than slater he has so far in the last two games but antoine's minutes upgrade is is nice to see and then the second question is from david letts if winthrop can find 11 players worthy of playing time then why can't nova might it be not a talent question but a comfort question I think Villanova's 11 could easily outbox Winthrop in a game of basketball. But <laughs> for the for the most part, we've seen it so many times and we clamor for it. Like you look at that 2016-17 team. A lot of the guys on the end of those benches proved to be stars. <laughs> like they eventually right. became stars down the line. And I think it's just a matter of Jay being comfortable with a shorter bench, a shorter rotation, seven or eight deep, nothing too crazier than that. So I think because of that, we've seen it. It's not that they're not good. I think they're they're definitely good. They're just kind of secret weapons that just had to wait their turn. Yeah, I mean, that's just the way Jay kind of develops everyone at this point. It's like, you just wait your turn. And if your time comes a little bit earlier than usual because of an injury or something, then so be it. But yeah, you're just supposed to Ride the bench. So I think it's it's more of a comfort thing. It's just the way Jay treats the underclassmen. And I mean, we're just kind of used to it by now. So I mean they could just Jay could go out there tomorrow and get eleven guys ready to play and utilize them to Winthrop's efficiency if he really wanted to, but that just isn't how it is. And whether you think that's right or wrong is uh, I don't know. Up to you. I don't really have a strong opinion either way, to be honest. I thought Jay provided some pretty interesting insight after that North Texas game. He was talking about how he wasn't really surprised that these guys at the end of the bench are able to step it up because you see they see it all the time in practice. It's just a matter of they're good, they're great, but in that current moment, in that current point in time, there were just a couple of players better than them that are ahead of them in the depth chart, so they just had to wait their turn. But I know he said similar things about Mikael Bridges. Like when Mikael Bridges broke out in 2017-18, it 
into all American or national player of the year contender conversation. It's like, yeah, we, we knew what Jalen Brunson can do. We knew all about that, but to just have Mikhail Bridges go from defensive specialist to a guy that was leading the team for the first half of the season, he wasn't surprised. And I, I think that it's just a matter of Jay being comfortable in the shorter rotation and waiting for guys to just have their turn. And once they get it, hopefully they make the most out of their opportunities. Like Antoine is right now. Right. Perfect opportunity to do it. Big stage. Next question is from Dan Gibson. He wants to know, should Antoine be played most of the game? I think we're starting to see a little more Antoine minutes. I know mm-hmm. we've we've had a few questions about him, but in that last game against North Texas, Archie Diakon was great. But Antoine played slightly more minutes, and he was great too. Chris, but do you think he deserves the share that he's getting? Oh, for sure. He's been playing pretty well the past couple games, hitting his shots, hitting free throws. And, yeah, I think he should be playing most of the game. I think he's athletic enough to at least, you know, try and keep up with the Baylor the Baylor Bears and all their athletic freaks that they got on that squad. So, yeah, I think he would probably be the best bet. I mean, if you want to start Arch and just kind of do it with the way it's been going, I don't have a significant problem with it as long as Antoine plays more. So that, that's fine. But as of right now, you, you got to play Antoine as much as possible. Yeah, I've been, I've been like when I'm seeing, I, I get it. I get why he went with RGD Akno. RGD Akno definitely understands the concepts a little bit more. But right now, Antoine's been delivering in the minutes. And so far, he's technically gotten a little bit more. I know that RGD Akno is a starter by name. However, it looks like Antoine's deserving of a bigger share. But I can't really complain either way. It hasn't really been too big of a difference yet. However, I, I'm, I'm really happy to start seeing him put the ball through the basket and just contribute with some nice plays on the court. I'm glad we're having this conversation, Dan. It's, it's a good thing. It's only a good sign. That means Antoine's trending the right direction. Cause I know back then some people felt like, Oh, no question. This guy should just still be sitting on the end of the bench. He doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. That feels like just yesterday. We're having that type of <laughs> conversation. I'm glad that the narrative has flipped on its head. And I think we all I think everyone kind of figured it was, it was there. It was just a matter of when and where he would get the opportunity. And thankfully, it's coming coming now. And then the next set of questions are from Jerry Quinn, our guy. His first one is, thoughts and your reaction to Chris Arch's first three? Okay, first of all, let me set the scene for you. I can't even – so I'm, I'm still, you know, blinded. I'm EMP'd, internet's out. But watching on the play-by-play, and I see he hit a three. I, text, even just like the, the text line, Chris Archidiacono made three-pointer. I'm going crazy. I can't believe it. And the only reason is is because we we haven't seen him score yet. Just that was his first shot made this season. And for him to just start off with a banger, it was like, okay, we're we're in good hands. This is a good sign. This is a good omen. Good omen. Yeah, despite how you felt how Villanova started that North Texas game a little slow or whatnot. They were still hitting shots. And the fact that Chris Arch was hitting them was, like you said, Eugene, a pretty good sign. I felt pretty comfortable after that. And then not only did he finish, uh, follow up that three, but another three. I, I was so hyped for him because, like you said, he, he's been just trying to get on the board via non-free-throw line just from the field. And he really hasn't even shot the ball that much. I think he's maybe shot it a couple of times. And it's it's not like, you know, the shots haven't been there. So I'm glad he was able to knock it down, get the 
monkey off his back and hopefully uh, can get some more against Baylor. And that kind of feeds into Jerry's next question. Who needs to step up for Nova to beat Baylor? Everybody. That is the answer. <laughs> it's not going to, I hate to say it, it's not going to, it's not going to take one guy. Like you can get a big game Jermaine performance and they still might not win. That's a, that's a good point. You look at their, their guys between Mitchell Teague and Butler. And it's like, that's three dynamic guards right there. I don't think it's going to be up to one man to step up. It's going to just be a collective effort defending those guys. But then also whatever they put up, you got to match their firepower on the offensive end. So, yeah, Chris, I don't know if I can isolate one guy. I think, you know, as, as much you said, everybody, and that's kind of like a, a cop-out it's answer. It. Like, yeah. Yeah, I think it's the truth. I think it I is. Think yeah. Right. yeah, I know. I was just about to say, all right, sorry for the cop-out answer, guys. But but it's true. I, if anyone's slacking, they're going to – Baylor's going to take advantage of it and just ruin everyone's day. Yeah, and, and I think if you really had to isolate people, it would have to just kind of be between the bench because – I would say it's it's all hands on deck for a game like this, an opponent like this. So you're going to need Swider, Slater, Antoine, Dixon, even if he gets to go in to step it up. And then Archie Diacono, if he's going to be the starting five again, he's going to have to step it up on defense because we haven't really seen him thrive on that end of the court yet. He was getting cooked by Dante Harris, Georgetown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he ended up being the biggest former, most outstanding player. But I hate to break it to you, these, these guys on Baylor – a lot more talented. Yeah, just just a tad, just a tad. So yeah, I, I agree with you, Eugene. Bench has to step up. Uh, all those guys. Slater's got to get on his lockdown defense, really show that off. Swider's got to continue the good run he had against North Texas. And it's going to take a lot of things. And you just saw it against the Wisconsin. I thought Wisconsin played maybe not their best basketball, but as close as they could. And they still couldn't get that game to within like seven points, like for the entire game. They they were w- right with it. they were right with them for majority of the first half. Then Baylor pulled away, but it wasn't able to but it wasn't able to put them away. Wisconsin hung around, but they kept tr- trying to chip away and chip away. And every time they tried, Baylor would come right back with a run. It, it was just nuts uh, how how good they were that that game. And also the main guy on Wisconsin, Trice. He's probably he quote unquote their best player, maybe a little bit debatable based on the Baylor game, but they needed him to step up and he didn't. He turned the ball over a lot, wasn't hitting his shots, and as a result, Wisconsin sunk because of it. So it just shows right there that even when you're playing your best basketball, and if you're one of your guys just doesn't show up, it's over. Yeah, it's really going to be an all hands on deck effort. I, I really can't isolate anybody, and then you even think to. When Nova played Kansas, upset them. Kansas at the time, number one. If you look at that, yeah, you had the heroics by Gillespie and Samuels at the end. But it was really a a complete effort, I thought, just across the board, especially on the defensive end. And that was a game when going in, the defense looked a little suspect. But everyone really stepped up. They made the shots when they needed to. And I think we're going to need something like that against Baylor to win. The last one, though, from Jerry, he wants to know, Chris, I I know what your answer is going to be. Are you bothered by all the late starts for the games? Why can't everything be moved up to the last game tips by 8 p.m.? Great question. Uh, you're preaching to the choir, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> like, on one hand, it's nice because you go 12 to 12, literally is basketball for 14, 15 hours. You never have to touch the dial. On the, on the other hand, you're sitting there and you're thinking, 
why in the world do they put two East Coast teams at a seven at 9.57 p.m. tip for the first round, Nova-Winthrop, and then the North Texas-Nova game was not even – it was a little bit better, but not even all that better. It was like, what, a four, like 8 o'clock, 8.30? I don't remember. I think it was more toward 9. I think it started – it was supposed to start before 9. I think it was supposed to start 8.45, and then it got pushed back to like 9, 9.15. So yes, it's disgusting, yeah. disgusting. It's it's awful. It's awful. And I and get it was on a Sunday. You know, people got work on Monday. Uh, I know, I know. That's the thing. Like, so this year they they switched up the weekends. They did Friday through Monday this past weekend, and now this upcoming one is Saturday through Tuesday. Like, just why why are we still having those late of games? Like, it should still they should push everything up. Nothing should start after eight thirty. Yeah, or, or unless it's two do, complete it's West, Coast. West Coast teams. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, West Coast, West Coast teams. Right. So like Oregon and USC is a matchup. Like if I don't know how they're gonna do the times with that, but for this coming weekend. But if it, that was a first round matchup, put that at nine fifty seven. That I get. But now, I mean, with two East Coast teams, it was so ridiculous. It was so bad, and it takes you out of and. It takes it out of the game. I know you said like the 12 to 12 thing is like fun. And I, I do agree. But when your team is playing that night and it's at the end of that <laughs> time frame, you're, you're a little tired. Oh, a little <laughs> tired. When they pushed that first round matchup back from 957, I was and you know me, Chris, I'm basically nocturnal and I, I work so late and I'm used to not sleeping. Mm-hmm. But for the first time in my life, my eyes were struggling to stay open. Before midnight, at least. Right. <laughs> I, I don't blame you one bit. Man. I, I don't know how I got through that game watching it. I'm sure a lot of people were struggling to stay awake. I think I even dozed off for a little bit at the, towards the end after the Antoine free throws. I was just like, all right, you know what? Maybe that's it. But yeah, it's we're not we're not in college anymore. And I know we're I'm being a little over dramatic with that, but it's you know, it's a little it's a lot different. It goes back to everyone hating on Nova. They just thought like, oh, this is probably like a throwaway game. Nova's not that good. Oh, their their star point guards hurt. Oh, they're probably gonna lose. We just kind of you know throw them at the end. It's like no, 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 no. That's not how this works. But on the bright side, Saturday's matchup, five fifteen p.m. Nice, perfect, perfect time slot. Not too early, not too late, just right. You can hopefully have a nice dinner afterwards. And not only that, five fifteen. Nice in the middle of the day. You can enjoy the a little appetizer right before that. Get you ready for Villanova's matchup. Hopefully, we'll have some good things to talk about after that. But I'm 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 very glad that they finally listened to all the outrage on Twitter and gave Nova a reasonable time. Last question is from Donna Ra. She wants to know lots of contributors to these first two victories. But going on, can you please arrange in order of minutes that should be played? These non-starters, Swider, Slater, Antoine, Archie Diacono, Dixon. So, Chris, please order who should have the most minutes, who should have the least minutes from between those five. Ooh, good question. I, I still think Antoine should be spending the most minutes. Uh, just really riding high on him right now. And then depending on how the game's going, I mean, if this team's going to need a couple of buckets, I might be more inclined to put Swider out there a little bit more than Slater, but if they're getting burned on the defensive end, it might be might be best to get Slater out there. So I guess based on how I feel this game's going to go, I would go Antoine, Slater, Swider, Arch, then Dixon. What about you? All right, so this is interesting. 
like I've said before on this pod, Archie Diacono, he's fearless. I'm I'm glad, you know, I can't I can't say that I'm not happy with what I'm seeing, but I am glad with what I've been seeing from him. For someone who got thrown in to his role, he's taken in it. He's not scared of the moment. He's embracing it. Fortunately, we didn't see him get the, the scoring punch until that last game against North Texas where he hit a couple threes. It's great. Like you said, Chris, get that mon- monkey off his back. However, look, it's great he's not turning over the ball. However, I, I want, you know, I don't want it to be four on five or four and a half on five. So I would actually put it Antoine, number one, Archie Diacono, number two. And the only reason I'm saying that is because Justin Moore is best off the ball. You need a second point guard. Like, there's just no way to, to divvy up the minutes where there wouldn't be a backup point guard. So, you know, if Antoine's number one, which he has been last last game, you know, RGD Akin play the second most minutes. And then after that, I think you can go – it's situational between Slater and Twider. If you need the defense, you want the athleticism, you definitely go Slater. But if you're hoping to cash in a couple threes, then you go Swider. Addiction, unfortunately, is at the end of the totem pole. And uh, unfortunately, I think it's just, one, it's how Jay's been playing. And two, I wish we had more time to evaluate him because I feel like we've seen great things. Unfortunately, I think when he gets switched on to a smaller assignment or someone who's quicker and faster than him, he gets burned a little bit. But there's no doubt, athletic big man, he can hit threes. I was glad he's able to show that ability. But I just think right now he, he he's at the end of the totem pole here. So final answer, lock it in for me. Antoine, number one. Archie Diakono, number two. Swear to Slider, pretty in, in, interchangeable. And then Dixon. I like your point about Arch with the fact that it probably lends to Justin Moore probably being at his most effective. But you trust Arch enough defensively to kind of throw him out there second most? <laughs> that's the Well, that's the problem. We need the facilitator <laughs> with Colin Gillespie out. It's like, you know, Antoine can't play 40. So, right. yeah. That's where that's where Chris Arch steps in and hopefully, you know, provides that relief or either or figures it out. Yeah, I hope so too. But yeah, no, I, I do know it's it's a little hot topic. I, I like what I've seen from Chris Arch, but I'm not gonna say it's perfect. I'm not gonna say it's you know amazing. However, for him to do what he's done, being thrown into the role. I'm impressed. I, I can't lie. I've been impressed with his fearlessness and his tenacity. I would like to see him fill up the bucket a little bit more, but that's just a, a totally separate issue that's going to come with time. And hopefully now that he's hit a couple of threes, you're going to get get a little more confidence on that end of the court. Yeah, he's been a nice, calming, steady presence out there. I think I said that a little bit earlier, but I, I think it rings true. And I think there is value to that. And I think there's value to the, him knowing the system, at least you know, pretty well from all indications out there between, you know, the fact that he starts and the fact that Jay has mentioned it several times in his press conference. So I, I don't, I don't hate it either. Yeah. I've grown to like it. I'm not going to, you know, kind of exaggerate a little bit and say it's, it's amazing. It's the, it's the greatest. However, just given the circumstances, he's handled it a lot better than anyone could have expected. Agreed. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. You can do so at View Hoops or at State of the Nova Nation. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, Podbean. you got many, many options. Check back, check often. 
at viewhoops.com. I can confirm Catherine Ryan is going to be writing the Baylor preview, and you know what that means for Catherine Ryan's preview. Someone pointed it out, and I've been running with the stat, and I've been telling her Nova is undefeated. So, I don't know. Hopefully that streak continues this weekend. So, definitely read it. It'll be entertaining, informative, all the above. Amazing. Every time. So, check that. Check back at some of the other content we're going to have. And then also, please follow View Hoops on social media. You can do so at View Hoops. That's good for Twitter and Instagram. Like our page on Facebook. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at Repay 5 I'm Chris Stantial. I got nothing. Just stay safe, everybody, and enjoy yet another full weekend of games. Nova Nation, apologies for dropping this on a Wednesday. Had a little bit of technical difficulties, as ironic as it is. But I'm glad we're here. I'm glad we're back. And I'm glad we have another game to look forward to this Saturday. Hopefully, we'll have another, a, a couple more to talk about next week. But enjoy the game this weekend. Let's go, Cats. Let's beat some Bears. <laughs>